Hello and welcome back to another episode of JLXP. I had originally said that the Thursday morning episode was going to be with Emily Rand and be a 10 Thoughts video. Unfortunately, she had a conflict. We're still going to look to do that episode next week for her next 10 Thoughts article that will release Thursday morning, generally along with the video here that is going to be talking about it. That's the fingers crossed plan for there. Uh, also, I will look to have episodes Monday morning following LCS and then on Tuesday morning next week, I will also have an episode with Anero from Golden Guardians talking about in-house systems and some of the successes and failures of those in the past and how that's going to relate to Champions Q. So wanted to give everybody an update on where the next episodes are going to be coming because I know some people just kind of see it drop or miss it entirely and I wanted to try and get a bit stronger of a schedule going. But the topic at hand for this particular video, episode 35, is about Champions Q because it is something that I am very excited about, that it's happening. It is something that I think is very important to the region as a whole. And it's also something where I see a lot of questions because people don't really know why it works. It's also something where with me following the social discourse about in-house systems and why NA is bad and why they don't compete with other regions and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I think there's just a much more nuanced conversation that can be had. And that's something that I wanted to go over in this video is specifically kind of breaking down why it's so important for North America in particular and why a system like this might not even be needed for other regions, but it's something that I think uh, is needed for NA, but also has a lot of ways in which it could backfire. But it's still a risk that I'm glad North America is taking. So let's, let, let's break this down uh, kind of systematically. North America wants to be a stronger competitive region. And a big part of that is talent development and acquisition. Historically, what North America has done is they've relied on their funding and infrastructure to try and get high quality players from other regions and retain the original high quality players from North America. One of the reasons you see so many veterans in the space. But I'm going to go through the four regions and kind of rank the quality of their solo queue because solo queue is one of the core fundamental things in how you can develop talent. I think first is solo queue. Every player is going to start League of Legends in solo queue. They'll get to the top of that environment. They'll join their first competitive team. And then that team will either be in the top league or will eventually lead to the top league. So step one is going to be solo queue, right? Let's take Korea. They have the best, most competitive solo queue in the world. It's partially due to server population. They have a larger server population than North America. They have a larger server population than EU West in terms of how many players play. It's also due to their culture. It's an incredibly like grindy work ethic culture for pro players. So all the pro players and all the amateur players are just grinding solo queue 24 seven. Also because of their centralized location, they also get a large smattering of pros from LPL, from LJL, from PCS. So a lot of other surrounding regions play on that server. And because Korea is such a dense country geographically, the ping is really low. So what that results in is they get incredibly short queue times, even for the highest MMR players. And it is 
I think, inarguably the best solo queue environment in the world. You can take any 1000 LP plus Korean solo queue player and basically they have a good chance of starting in any region in the world given the right amount of time to develop. Maybe that's an overstatement, but I do know that even master level players in Korean solo queue are scouted by other regions once they're there because that's how competitive and rich that solo queue environment is. There's also Chinese solo queue, which is different and has its own challenges for a number of reasons. It's the largest pool of players to pull from from any region in the world, but they also have a, a hugely fragmented player base. They have, last I checked, over 30 servers, and then the top players from those 30 servers can be invited to the super server where they have some of the bloodiest games of any solo queue server in the world because people are limit testing 24-7. So it's not on the tier of Korean solo queue, but just from the sheer volume, you can still have a large amount of improvement playing solo queue and the games will at least be against highly skilled players, even if they don't replicate exactly the type of practice you would be looking to get. I'd say the next tier down from that, if I'm just comparing the traditional four major regions, is going to be EU solo queue, generally EU West solo queue. Uh, it's not to the quality, in my opinion, of Korean or Chinese solo queue. Uh, there's still a lot of toxicity uh, that's slightly lower ping than NA, but it's not Korean level ping. There's still lots of one tricks. There's lots of toxicity. There's lots of streamers. But I think if we're looking at the whole picture, it will end up being superior to NA because their ERL system is so robust. Um, and I'll get to the academy systems of the regions after I get through the solo queue because I think it goes solo queue into team development into pro. Um, but then let's talk about like why NA solo queue sucks so much. One that you hear about all the time is the ping. Originally, the solo queue servers for League of Legends in North America were based in Los Angeles. So for the first few years of LCS, this wasn't a problem. You would generally get like eight ping if you were an LCS player in LA. But that was horrendous for the growth of League of Legends in North America because East Coast players would have over 100 ping, which is just completely unacceptable. So the centralized servers were moved to Chicago. Um, again, I'm not going to justify any of these things. I'm just going to kind of give the facts and then get into it, um, which means from Los Angeles... Uh, depending on how it routes and what ISP you use, which is something some LCS teams have been able to tweak recently, most people are going to find, if you live in LA, like 65 to 70 ping. But I forget the name of it. I know it was in uh, several pro teams' apartment complexes. You can get a 50 ping to the servers, which is a noticeable improvement. But still, like, it's not the tier you need. The 50 ping really does make a difference in terms of muscle memory and the types of plays you can rely on when you're on stage in like a close to zero ping environment. Um, but then you have the ping problem. You also have the smallest server population, which is going to create larger queue times. On top of that, you have a more unmotivated pro player base in terms of LCS and Academy, just culturally. There's much more work-life balance preached throughout players' upbringings, and they don't have the same grind mentality that Korean players do. It's something that, like, even to this day, uh, Impact tweeted about this last year. He's like, we have, like, over 100 pro players just with Academy and LCS. If everybody just queued up, we wouldn't have this problem. But, like, everyone just does not queue up. And then that problem compounds because if five or ten of those players do queue up, they'll have these gargantuan queue times 
that are 45 minutes to an hour and they'll churn out because everyone's not doing it at the same time or you'll climb to a thousand LP and that's going to increase your queue times and you're going to be complaining about game quality. So what you then do to reduce your queue times is you jump on another account, which will be low masters. And then the MMR system can't do its job accurately because the very best players that would be 1200 LP are actually playing on 200 LP accounts because they're worried about queue times. So it's just this like beast that eats itself <laughs> and it's just a, and has been like a really big problem for North America. Uh, now, before I get into specifically how Champions Q hopes to solve this, um, I do want to touch a little bit on <clears throat> the development systems that go after the solo queue because it'll be important at the end of this. Uh, Korea, as I said, I, I'm not super knowledgeable about every in and out of the way the leagues below LCK work. I think their solo queue system is so damn robust. I think they'd still have a better player development pipeline than either EU uh, or NA, even with like a garbage amateur system. I know they have LCK challengers. I know they had a lot of issues during COVID, but just the org history there, there are teams that have a large amount of players pre-signed and trained and just a very different pro player culture over there. Um, the thing I really wanted to get into for people that maybe only follow NA is like how, how good the ERL system is in EU. Like just to give an example, the different leagues that feed into EU Masters. So these are independent leagues that have their own teams competing in a whole league system that then feed up into EU Masters that are also all sitting below LEC. So the leagues that feed into EU Masters are Prime League, which is made up of Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, Super League, which is Spain, LFL France, Ultra League of Poland, NLC, which is the UK and Nordics, PG Nationals, which is Italy, EBL Season 8, which was the Balkans, GLL 2021, which is Greece and Cyprus, the Belgian League, the Dutch League, and then also Hitpoint Masters, Czech Republic and Slovakia. I pulled those from Leakpedia because there's no way I can possibly follow every ERL and know exactly how they work. But that's just, that's like, what? Oh, also, I missed LP Law from Portugal and Baltic Masters. Like, that's about 13 <laughs> like leagues below the LEC that they can pull in. Uh, it's something that I think NA has improved on in recent years. They've gone from just having the Academy League directly under the LCS to also having a better amateur system, which can feed up into proving grounds in both spring and summer. And also the amateur schedule has been beefed up to be doing best of twos, which gives players more stage time and theoretically more exposure. So that system has actually gotten a lot better in recent years. And the one thing that is possibly a topic of a future episode, but just to maybe give a small preview, is the the best hope that NA would have of trying to replicate the ERL system would be tapping into the collegiate scene because that's something that has given the United States a big advantage in, say, like Olympic sports historically because they can leverage that giant uh, collegiate ecosystem. But trying to make that work for league is obviously not something that's easy to access and would take a long time. Not to mention the general age of a league player doesn't necessarily work with collegiate athletics, but there's there's possibly something there that could work at some point in the future, which makes collegiate very exciting, but it's like a super, super long-term play. But okay, now we've kind of gone over like how you 
can become good enough to be pro. It has to start in solo queue. It'll then move into the competitive team environment. And I realize I never really defined why I would consider solo queue so core to how you get good and stay good as a player. I don't think you can just grind scrims 24-7 to become good um, because having a competitive practice environment outside of scrims allows you to have more experimentation, more limit testing, and also varies the amount of pressure that you practice under, um, which are all things that I find to be very important. And like, for instance, just as an example, if you wanted to learn Ivern mid, which is something that I saw Bjergsen doing in the champions queue, just like 50 minutes ago, I'm recording this Wednesday night for release early Thursday morning. You could ruin like an entire scrim for that with four other players or you can try and play this Ivern mid in what is now a better environment than solo queue. Um, but yeah, I've gone through 13 minutes of this. I want to explain to everybody how Champions queue like actually works because there's been a lot of in-house systems in the past and this one is hoping to be like the Giga in-house system since Riot has provided prizing for it. But <clears throat> the people, you know, if you skip to the video just because you didn't know how Champions queue works, here it is. Uh, it consists of LCS players, academy players, amateur players who placed top 16 in the most recent Proving's Ground qualifier, LLA players, and then alumni of the LCS. So that's why a player like Lorlo or Doublelift would have access to the Champions queue. And then also there's like a loosely promised application system for the future, which personally I would think is very important because a top solo queue player who isn't in like the club of teams, I don't want them to need to find a team first before they can get access to the most competitive server if this works. Um, but then like the actual running of it, like it's hooked up to the tourney realm. So they play on LA ping, which is difficult for East Coast amateurs, which I don't necessarily think is that bad of a thing because you can, if, if you're making your pro league in Los Angeles, like, aspiring professionals i think it's reasonable that they would have to play in those conditions because honestly the very best players need the very best practice environment and to me that's the biggest purpose of this champions queue it also only has specific hours of operation so it's generally designed to work around what a scrim schedule for a pro player would be mondays are generally an off day for most teams so from monday it actually runs from 10 a.m to 1 a.m., 13 hours of being open. Tuesday through Sunday, it's 6 p.m. to 1 a.m., which is seven hours, which gives it 55 hours per week of availability for when it is on. Voice comms aren't required, but from what I've seen, every game has had voice comms. Currently, there's a lot of social pressure for players to use it because there are prize pools at the end of this thing, and I'm going to explain that in a bit. Uh, it's said that players who fall below masters are removed at the end of a split, and the like actual split system, they run one month splits. So current split, February 7th to March 7th. First place at the end of that split is getting 12,000 bucks. Second place is getting 8,000 bucks. Third to fifth is getting 4,000 bucks. And 610th is getting 1,600. So for just like a, an amateur player, that can be a significant payday and a good motivation to like try in your champions queue, solo queue games. Um, but the more important part of this system is that it is meant to be, and again, I had no 
I mean, I didn't say this before. Hopefully people realize this. I had no involvement with the creation of this iteration of Champions Q or this iteration of the in-house system. I've been asking around to gather information about how it works, and then I'll kind of give my independent opinion on it. Um, what I like about this is the, the council that is going to be able to update this frequently to make it adaptive to what is needed. So that's going to be made up of like five pro players, two amateur players, uh, two LCS org staff, and like one LLA player. But the point of this is to get a lot of perspectives, but ultimately have the large voting share for the LCS players who this is supposed to help make better. Um, right now, I think some of the most dedicated players are the ones that are on the council because it's like a kind of a thankless job, but it's currently Core JJ Bjergsen, Huhi, Palafox, and Licorice. So shout outs to them for being so involved. I know Core JJ uh, and Bjergsen in particular were really involved in the last iteration of in-house systems that I was also trying to get started um, back when I was coaching TL. So um, I really hope this is successful. There's going to be a lot of tweaks that end up getting made to this. Like currently the matchmaking is uh, actually non-existent. There's not enough like history on the players. So you just queue up and then the game gets made and it's just five versus five. Uh, the LP is not necessarily built out yet. It's 10 LP for a win, 5 LP for a loss. In the short term, it really does encourage Q activity because if you maintain a 50% win rate and you play the most games, maybe you get first. I don't like it, but I can understand the reason that it's there in the first place. And it will be on the council to gather feedback from the people using the tool. And then whether or not they change it to being a more MMR traditional LP style system. But overall, I'm really excited about the Champions queue. I know I just dumped a huge amount of information. I, I pretty much just spent the night researching all of this because I wanted to kind of share it. Uh, I hope that this was a digestible way of doing so because really like all of this is meant to try and give North America a fighting chance on the world stage. Uh, Hopefully what you took away from a little bit of this video, because like you can make this argument a million different times, and I believe it, is there are a lot of disadvantages that North America needs to overcome if they want to find international success. And this is a shot to try and overcome one of those solo queue advantages. Now, it could backfire because there are is some pretty real collateral damage that thinking down the line would happen if Champions Q is wildly popular, but then the appropriate things on the other end aren't handled in like creative or perfect ways. And who knows if it'll even be solvable. So one thing that I'm talking about here would be like, what actually happens to top tier solo queue if every pro academy, amateur player, and top tier solo queue player is in a different West Coast queue from 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. every single night, like who is then scouting the next generation of talent and who are they training against in order to get access to the champions queue in the first place? And also, if you are, let's say, an extremely talented player who just happens to live in New York and you don't have the financial means to get onto a West Coast location to play low Q low ping champion Q games, like, is there a mechanism for you to be discovered? Because these are like potentially really 
big long-term ramifications that I know they had to consider when doing this, but I think these are risks that are really necessary to take. And I hope it works. Let me know what you think. YouTube comments, Reddit thread, Twitter, uh, I'm all ears. Uh, I'll take some of the best questions. Um, I'm going to be doing a follow-up episode on Champions Q with an arrow because he he did a lot, actually. Not for this particular iteration of Champions Q, but previous in-house systems. I know he really cares about NA and player development and this kind of stuff. So I'm really looking forward to, to that conversation that I'm going to be having Monday night and releasing Tuesday morning. So thanks again for tuning in to JLXP and I'll see you next time.